some Brian McKnight in the room. You guys are too young for Brian McKnight. Here's my goal for the rest of the series. I'm going to introduce you to some good music. I'm going to introduce you to some good love songs. That's my goal for the next few weeks. Once a month? Really, ladies? That's normal? Shave your legs once a month? That's a little, that's a little extreme. I'm married, and if my wife goes a month and only shaves once, I'm like, hey, babe, maybe you need to... <laughs> Hey, um, I'm really excited for the next few weeks. Obviously, you already know we're beginning a kind of uh, series of conversations that we're going to have on dating, relationships, love, all that fun stuff. You guys know you love it. Just real quick, right off the bat, let's just get a few things straight. How many single people we have in the room? Raise your hand. Come on. Now look around. Everybody look around. Look around real quick. Make sure you see. I'm just kidding. That's creepy. Don't do that. So now we already know, hopefully, that it didn't cause some drama between anybody who's not sure if you're dating or not. <laughs> the guy raised his hand. The girl's like, what? I thought we were, I thought. No, I am, uh, I'm excited to spend the next few weeks uh, talking about this. And just to be honest, man, I really consider it an honor I, I, um, to have these conversations with you. I know Trust me, I know that these things are uh, very complicated. Relationships are complicated. Love is complicated. I I remember being you before I was married. I remember the stress that you take on. I remember just how uh, complex it can be. And so thank you for allowing me to have these conversations with you. um, I'm going to be extremely honest with you, um, but I'm also going to do my best to be as uh, tender and loving and caring. I, I love you to death. I really, I love you so much. I, I desire for you to experience uh, the joy of relationships and as little as pain and regret as possible of relationships. And so that's why we would even spend a few weeks talking about this because that's, I, I understand that um, relationships gone Wild uh, can be very painful and hurtful, but done really well. Man, they can be a true source of joy, and I believe that's how God designed them to be. And so we're going to have some fun with it, and uh, we're going to talk about some real stuff. Can we be real in here? Let's be as real as possible. I think that would be good. Here's what I know. It's incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult to go from single to married without losing a sense of self without losing a sense of purity, without acquiring baggage from broken relationships, and honestly, sometimes just flat out losing your mind, right? (laughs) It's incredibly difficult to do that. In fact, I would say it's even impossible to date and not have one or if not all of those things happen if you don't have an understanding of how dating works. Now, I know what you're probably already saying. You're like, how dating works, Austin. It's pretty simple how dating works. Like, you find somebody that you're interested in. You start going out on some one-on-one dates. And then you're more interested in them. And you just continue to date. And maybe it goes from there, right? Wrong. That's why we're going to have the conversation. And that's why I want to talk to you um, about how dating works. Because here's what I've noticed. Most people, the majority of people, and I think it's just kind of natural, majority of people put a lot of emphasis on who in relationships, and that's important. I mean, you need that. But put very little, most of the time, no emphasis on the how. We put a lot of emphasis on who we date and very little emphasis on how we date. And here's what I've seen. Actually, the how is more important. You can have the right who and the wrong how, and relationships go sideways. But opposite, if you have the right how, then only the right who will fit in. Does that make sense? 
If you date the right way, then only the right who can fit into that and only the right who can be a part of your future and what God is uh, drawing you to in relationships. So I want to just gather us around, at least for these first two weeks, talking about how, like, how do you date? And what does the Bible say anything about that? Let me answer that question right off the bat. The Bible actually says nothing about dating. Yay, right? The Bible says uh, nothing about dating. However, the Bible has much to say about marriage and about who you are to be as an individual and how you approach the things in your life that you give great value to. Anytime someone gives a priority to something in their life that is not meant to get priority, things implode. And as a Jesus follower, you and I as, as a Jesus follower, I have given him first place in my life. I have made him uh, not only savior of my life, but I made him Lord of my life, which means um, when I entertain giving someone else the first place attention, first place energy, first place priority, or when I entertain filling the longings of my heart with love from another person, I flirt with giving someone else the first priority of my life rather than what I have decided to do as a Jesus follower, giving him first priority. And God has designed relationships to be fruitful and to be beautiful and to be joyful in your life. But whenever they get the wrong priority, things begin to implode. So for the next uh, two weeks, especially, um, even if you're not sure about this Jesus stuff, and even if you're not completely sure whether you want to give him first priority in your life, I really believe the next few weeks will be helpful for you. Honestly, I really do. I don't think, uh, I don't think you can have it in full without Jesus but I really think even just the next few weeks would be helpful for you if you're not into the Jesus thing. So for the next two weeks, I think the best way to talk about this, and if you've been around C12 for a few years, then this is nothing new. We've had this conversation before, but I've been praying that it'll be fresh to you in the next few weeks. But if you're new with us, then I'm praying that this concept will be something that maybe allows this subject to come uh, to life in a new way for you. But I think the best way to talk about this is to compare two different paths, to look at two different paths. And one path is an unhealthy, unbiblical path, a pathway to do relationships. And the other path is a healthy, biblical way to do relationships. And I want to compare the two paths and then just ask you the question, which path are you going down? Which path do you want to go down? And that's where we'll take the next few weeks. So to introduce the past, the first path on one side, you have what we're going to call the path of promiscuity. Turn to your neighbor and say promiscuity five times fast. Just, uh. <laughs> so on one side, we have the path of promiscuity. On the other side, we're going to compare it to the path that we're going to call the path of purity. The path of promiscuity and the path of purity. Now, I don't know about you. I don't say that word promiscuity a whole lot. And so um, what it means, the word promiscuous, the definition is this, characterized by or involving uh, indiscriminate mingling or association, especially having sexual relations with a number of partners on a casual basis. In other words, it's casual, haphazard approach to relationship, just casual, haphazard approach to relationship. Now, the path of purity, what does it mean to be pure? Well, first of all, we have to understand that our standard of pure is not what I say. It's really not what you say. It's not what culture says. Our standard of pure has to be what the scriptures say. So we got to get on the same page of that purity and, and our standard for that is what the scriptures say. But I think this is important. If you've been around church for... Uh, really any length of time, maybe you grew up in middle school, high school, ministry and church, you've probably heard a talk about purity. And I think that's a good thing. We need to have those talks. But as I've, I've been around, I've seen that I think the church can twist this concept of purity to really just 
being this idea of don't have sex before marriage. But when we talk about purity in here, I want you to know that we don't just mean that. So purity is, is not, you know, the focus or the goal is not virginity. The goal is purity. Our goal isn't just to not have sex before marriage. Our goal is to be pure. And so I've given a definition that, you know, maybe you want to write it down. I don't know, but um, I'm going to put it on the screen. And so maybe it'll help guide our talk. Purity is when I submit my relational desires as they pertain to my mind, in other words, my thoughts, my heart being my emotions, my body being my actions, when I submit all of those to God. Meaning that I will express them in the way that he intended for them to be expressed. And this requires significant attention to how I date. So you've got the path of promiscuity and the path of purity. Now our base for these two paths and how we've kind of come to this conclusion that these are the two paths that you can go down really comes out of a truth that we find in Scripture. And I want to give you the truth, and it's super simple. It's, it's not catchy at all. I, I thought about putting a catchy way to say it, but I think it's just simple just to say it like this. The truth that we want to gather around is this. Intimacy comes after commitment. Just that, plain and simple. Intimacy comes after commitment. This is a truth that we see in Scripture. So I want to look at Jesus' pattern of relationships. I want to look at Jesus' pattern of relationships by pointing out uh, really simply one verse in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus says these words, and it gives us a pattern for how he does relationships, and I believe it's a pattern for how he would desire for us to do relationships as well. It says in John chapter 14, verse 21, it says this, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. This is Jesus talking. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and then I will show myself to him. This is a, a beautiful scripture. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So Jesus establishes that love, love is built on commitment. Whoever has my commands and obeys them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me then will be loved by my Father, and then I will be intimate. So whoever loves me will express it by commitment. And whoever is committed to me, I will allow myself to be intimate with. This is a pattern throughout Scripture. We see this even in, you know, in, in the brother of Jesus, James, says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It takes a drawing of you to him and then he draws near to you. Intimacy is built when you chase after him and then he will be intimate with you. So a couple things. Jesus is looking for commitment first and then he allows intimacy into the relationship. He's looking for commitment first and then intimacy. So the scriptures are saying this to us, that God is not a promiscuous God and that he will not become intimate without commitment. And I believe this is a pattern for you and I to operate in relationships as well. The path of promiscuity really means this. It means intimate, intimacy exceeds the commitment. It is where intimacy exceeds the commitment. Now, you need to know this. When we say intimacy, we're not just talking about physical intimacy. There's, in relationships, there's verbal intimacy. There's emotional intimacy. There's even spiritual intimacy. And so it's bigger than just physical intimacy. But the path of promiscuity is when intimacy outgrows or exceeds the commitment level. The path of purity, on the other hand, is when commitment outgrows and exceeds intimacy. So listen up. Your greatest challenge, your greatest challenge in establishing a healthy dating lifestyle is not allowing intimacy to exceed your commitment. But 
that you would allow commitment to provide a safe place for intimacy to grow. But, into, but commitment must outgrow intimacy. Now, here's, are, are you tracking with me? Here's where I'm going to make a lot of enemies. I want to throw out an idea. Let me just throw out an idea to you, and you, you just decide what you think, okay? You guys are smart people. You're adults. So let me just throw out an idea to you, okay? Um, what is your commitment level in a dating relationship? Let me just answer the question for you. I would say zero, but because some of you will hate that, I'll just say low. (laughs) Your commitment level in a dating relationship is extremely low. Now, I know you say, not me. I mean, we've been dating for two years, or we've been dating for years, or no, 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 you don't know us. Like, we really love each other, and we're on the path of getting married one day, all that kind of stuff. Great, great, great. Love it. So happy. Proud of you guys. But let me ask you this. In a dating relationship, even if you've been dating for 17 years, (laughs) could your boyfriend wake up tomorrow and decide he wants out? Absolutely. Could your girlfriend wake up tomorrow and decide she wants out? Absolutely. So what's the commitment level in a dating relationship? Pretty dang low, right? if not really zero. It's essentially, the commitment level is this. I choose you for now. (laughs) I choose you today. That's about the extent of the commitment level. So let's just take that on even further. The greatest challenge is allowing your intimacy to not exceed your commitment. And your commitment is not very high. So how high should your intimacy be? You guys are so smart pretty dang low, right? So here's the question you're probably asking. How do I go about dating without having any emotional, spiritual, physical intimacy? So I want to focus for the next few minutes on the first two stages of these paths. The first kind of stage of the path where you get to decide which path you're going to walk down. The first stage is this, the stage of Desperation, throw it up there, there it is. Path of promiscuity is built on desperation, whereas the path of purity is built on dependence. So let's be honest, not very many people want to be single the rest of their life, right? You may want to be single for a time. You know, right now, I just I got to focus on my career or school or, or just, you know, I don't want to be bothered with, with somebody that's a great, a great mindset, I guess. Um, but I've yet to meet someone who just said, I want to be single the rest of my life. The majority of us, we desire companionship. We desire love. We desire the butterflies, right, that kind of stuff. Um, but then you add on top of that, You add on top of that this fact that you have to look at everyone else on Instagram who has a perfect little relationship. Someone say amen. And then and then you look at them, you're like, gosh, that looks so awesome. Like if I just want that, right? I just want to have what they have on the on the beach, holding the hand, the little like walk. What is this thing where they walk and and the person's like holding it, following them? Right? And you look at that, you're like, God, that looks so adorable. I want that, right? And you add that onto the top of, of, you know, we all want companionship and love, and, and at least at some point in your life. And all these factors put together at some point, unfortunately, lead a lot of people to be desperate for love or to be desperate for a relationship, right? You agree? So, two things I want you to know about desperation. Two things you need to know about desperation. Number one is this desperate people. Look to a relationship to solve what only God can solve. This is the path of promiscuity. Desperate people look to a relationship to solve what only God can solve. Being desperate is essentially this. I am empty inside and I'm looking for someone to fill me. I'm empty inside and I'm looking for someone to fill me. Whether that means that I'm fearful about what life will become 
and I think that a guy or a girl will solve that for me, right? You want the American dream and the house and the family, and so therefore I'm a little bit desperate because that's what I want for my future, and I'm fearful that if maybe I don't find that person now, then I'll never get that. So I'm fearful of my future, whether it's that or maybe I'm sad about what my life has already become, and I need a guy or girl to solve that issue as well. So it's either a problem with fear or it's a problem with happiness. So I'm either unhappy and I need someone to solve that or I have a low self-worth and I need someone, someone's love, someone's attention, someone's affection to validate me and my deepest need for significance and purpose. And if that is the beginning where you begin, you are already on an awful foundation. And you bring an emptiness, you bring an emptiness into a relationship, and check this out, that weirdly enough will actually be the same emptiness that causes your relationship to implode. The reason you got into the relationship will be what destroys the relationship. Why? Because you have relied on another human to solve your deepest needs, your needs for satisfaction, your need for significance, your need for security. You have, you have looked for someone else to solve your deepest needs, and guess what? They can't. They cannot. They were not designed to. Think about that kind of pressure. Listen, if someone comes to you, if someone's interested in you, and they're waiting and they're expecting you to solve that for them, that's a pressure and a weight that I promise you, you do not want to live under, do you? No, you don't. And you will be upset because the expectations you put on someone to satisfy those things are not even feasible. They can't be done. And ultimately, your relationship won't last because the very thing that got you into the relationship will be the thing that gets you out of it. However, the path of purity, when you and God are right and God is meeting your needs for satisfaction, significance, and security, when he is filling your emptiness, when he is filling that void in your life, then you enter the relationship with an entire different maturity. And here's what's really interesting is that dependent people are so intimately connected with God and they're dependent on him to fill those desires. Check this out that there is no need, there is no pressure, and there is no race to find the right one. I am so intimately and connected with God, and I am dependent, there's the word, dependent on him to fill this deepest void and desire in my life that there is no race or there is no pressure to find somebody to find the right one to fill these things for me. I can take my time and be dependent on God. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, you keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he or she trusts in you. Maybe the reason why we're so stressed out and freaking out about relationships is because we're not dependent on God. We're not dependent on him to satisfy these things. Maybe there's a little bit more desperation in your heart to find somebody than maybe you even thought. And here's what's interesting. Dependent people know when they find someone else who is dependent. Dependent on God. They know when they find someone else who is dependent on God. And then what happens, it's a beautiful match because I don't need you to satisfy me and you don't need me to satisfy you. Therefore, God's satisfying our deepest needs, and then he can build something beautiful out of the both of us. Number two, desperate people. Desperate people lower their standards to raise their chances. They lower their standards on the kind of person they're willing to date, and they lower their standards of the kind of person they're willing to become. Right? What started with... I want a girl who loves Jesus has turned into, I want a girl with a cool, trendy Jesus tattoo. That was funny. Gosh, that was the best joke I had. Jen, where are we at? 
right? It started with this, I need a girl who loves Jesus. And now it's like, well, just, you know, she's got a little cross on her wrist. That'll do. <laughs> I love them. They're great. Get them. Get, get cross tattoos. Ladies, ladies, let me give you, let me give you a thought. Ladies, whatever you catch him with will be what you keep him with. You need to know that. Whatever you catch him with will be what you have to keep him with. So if you catch him with sexuality, that is what you will have to keep him with. And I don't, you know, by any means condone behavior regardless of what you caught him with. I don't condone, you know, bad behavior from the guy. But I'm just saying... That will be the expectation on day 100 if that is what you caught him with on day one. On the other hand, if day one was a woman who loved and honored God with her life and desired to please him and desired for him to satisfy her and to bring significance and purpose to her life, then any guy who pursues that on day one knows that that's what he's going to get on day 100 too. What you catch him with will be what you keep him with. And fellas, if you, will, if you will live a life that says, I know what the cool thing to do is, I know what culture is telling me to do, I know what I'm getting on social media and what I should be doing as a guy, but I don't care. I'm called to honor God, to serve God, to worship God with every part of my being. I promise you, if that is who you are as a man, whatever girl is attracted to that is the right girl. But you got to lead with that. Whatever you catch them with is what you'll have to keep them with. Another way to say it is this, and I don't mean to, you know, like compare you to animals. That's not what I'm saying. But just another way to say it is this. The bait that you use determines the catch that you get. The bait you use determines the catch you get. Does that make sense? Ladies, you have to know this, that you live in a culture that normalizes raising your skirt to raise your chances. But I want to encourage you to do the very opposite. Your chances may be slimmer, but I promise you, your catch will be better. If you will go down the path of purity and say I'm dependent on God, I give him my life. He is satisfying me. He is bringing significance. I'm not desperate for a man to solve anything in me. I promise you, your chances may be slimmer, but your catch will be better. I was talking with a girl a few years ago, sat down in my office, and someone that I had a relationship with, it wasn't just a stranger, but she was upset because the last few guys she had dated had been jerks and you know, they were only wanting sexual stuff from her. And she said, you know, all men are dogs. I said, well, first of all, I'm offended by that. Um, <laughs> right? Like, would have appreciated like a no offense first. But she said, all men are dogs and they're just so bad. And I said, well, you know, maybe if you stop putting dog food out, they'll stop coming to eat. And I didn't, you know, there wasn't a stranger. I had a relationship with her. I wouldn't be that aggressive with, you know, everybody. But maybe, maybe what you're putting out, maybe the bait that you're putting out there is causing you to catch something that you actually don't want. And so, ladies, let me just encourage you. If you feel like you have nothing to offer other than your sexuality, can I just encourage you that you have so much to offer? that you are actually a direct image reflection of Jesus, that he has stamped you with beauty, with worth, with value. You are a daughter of the king, and you deserve to be treated as such. Do not settle for anyone less who treats you differently. Do not settle, because you deserve to be treated like that. You are not just what you offer sexually. Stage number two, first is desperation compared with dependence on God. The next stage is this, infatuation compared to interest. 
infatuation compared to interest. If you want to know if you are desperate or dependent, look at infatuation or interest. Because needy people, desperate people, obsess over what will meet their need. Dependent people are freed up from the desperation. They're freed up from the desperation so they are able to ask the right questions about the person they're interested in. You you get what I'm saying? Infatuation is when you're just kind of wrapped up in this like, oh my gosh, they're just so beautiful and we just have so much fun together. And, And you do that. And you're just like, and, you know, he has a nice truck, and it's just such an awesome, or whatever you're into. I don't know. Right? You just get, you're just infatuated with that person. That's not a bad thing, but it's not a good place to start. You got to know the difference between, like, being infatuated and being interested. I'll tell you uh, my story. For some some of you, you know my wife and I, you've been here, so you know a little bit of our story. But um, we met back in like January of 2011. We met, it was actually, I won't tell you the whole story, it was a blind date set up by our parents. Can you believe that? Uh, Set up by our parents, blind date, one night. It went so well, I took her bowling, and I did not let her win, fellas. Do not do that. You got to show her right off the bat. You got to show her. Um. Anyways, and so it went so well, she was like, hey, let's go out again tomorrow night. I said, great, let's do it. So the next night, but then after that, we both went our separate ways. I was in school in Virginia. She was in school in Charleston, South Carolina. And for the next two years, two years, we did long-distance relationship. Two years, we were six hours apart from one another. And uh, she moved, you know, after that in, like, March 2013, she moved to Atlanta because uh, I had moved back here, was doing an internship here, so she moved here, and then we got to spend the next, like, year together when the, for the first time we were in the same city and, and got to do all that. And then um, in 2014, I got a job in Tennessee, and so I moved away from her again, and we spent the next nine months both dating and engaged for six of those months long distance. So a total of about two years and nine months apart from each other. And... Here's what I would encourage you with. First of all, we did it because we believed it was worth it. And so we were willing to do whatever we had to do. But we learned more than anything. We weren't perfect and we had our problems. But we learned more than anything to depend on God to like fill our voids in our life and to depend on him for significance because we didn't have each other like that. You know, we were seeing each other literally for the first year. We saw each other once a month. And so we couldn't find that in that person. We had to depend on God for that. And I think, you know, don't, like, force yourself into a long-distance relationship. You don't have to be. But because of that, I think it allowed us to build a relationship where we were not dependent upon one another. And, and that helped a whole lot. Next thing is we were able to get to know each other without creating deep levels of intimacy. Like, we were FaceTiming every night. And you can't get intimate on FaceTime unless you want to be creative. And you shouldn't be doing that. So, um, so we, we weren't. We were just having to get to know each other and ask the right questions about one another. So I'm not saying your story needs to be like ours. But what I am saying is that you have to fight to learn about someone without being fully intimate with them. You have to fight to be interested in somebody without being in fact just wrapped up in this infatuation. And what concerns me is when couples get into this, especially early on, with we're hanging out every day, we're hanging out with each other. Every night we're hanging out with each other over and over. And we just get wrapped up in this like emotionally fueled, passionate relationship rather than, especially early on, I just need to get to know this person. I need to ask the right questions about this person. And oftentimes that intimacy level causes you to just fall into this emotionally fueled relationship rather than making a decision about your future, your future relationship based on what you are learning about that person. So tonight I want to be extremely practical and I want to give you a few questions that you should be asking about the person that you are interested in. Can I do that? A few questions that you should be asking about the person that you're interested in, whether you are brand new Maybe you've been dating for a long time and you haven't yet asked these questions. I would encourage you to ask them. Some of these, 
I think the answers to them are just yellow flags. Like, hey, just pay attention to that. Some of them, I think, are red flags. Um, but you should at least just be asking the questions, okay? You come up with your own list if you want. These are just a few that I think were helpful to me and I think would be helpful to you. The point is not these questions. The point is this. Learn before you love. The point is this. Learn before you love. So, first question I I would encourage you to ask. How do they follow Jesus, right? Just right off the bat. How do they follow Jesus? And let me encourage you, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Don't just listen to what they say. Watch what they do. How do they love the least of these? How do they forgive? How do they obey God's word? How do they pray about things? Maybe a question that you want to ask is, when was the last time God answered one of your prayers? Wouldn't that tell you a lot about the person you're interested in? And you're not looking for someone to be perfect. That's not the expectation. But there should be a desire, and there should be, right? The scripture says that faith without works is dead, so there should be a working out of our faith. Second question. Nothing super spiritual. I just think it's important. How do they treat their parents? How do they treat their siblings? Ladies, I'm just telling you, I think you should really look into how someone you're interested in treats his mom. You should pay attention to how a guy treats his mom. It'll tell you a lot about how he'll treat you one day. Another question. Where are they headed in life? Right? Where are they headed in life? And not just that they, like, have a thought, but that is their thought of what they want. Uh, Are they actually pursuing it? Right? And this is not, it's not important that they know details. You guys don't know all the details about what you're going to do. I think it's just important to know that the person you're interested in is not just sitting back waiting for life to happen to them. But I'm actually going about doing something. In other words, do they have a proactive or a reactive approach to life? I think it's important, you decide, I think it's important to be with someone who has a proactive approach to life rather than a reactive approach to life. Another question, do they manage, manage their life well? Here's what I mean. Things like, are they irresponsible with money? And that's not, a, that's not a personality. Don't look for a personality. I think people are wired differently. I'm a spender. I love spending money. My wife is a penny pincher. She will not spend a dime this month, probably. That's not true. We're having a baby. She's going crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm a spender. It's not personality. But even though that's my personality, I have to, I must allow responsibility to trump my personality. And I think you ought to ask the question, how do they spend money? Do they manage it well? Look, that's a responsibility type of question. Are you really wanting to kind of get into something with someone and possibly the rest of your life with someone who is irresponsible in that kind of way? I think ask this question. If the person that you're interested in continues to get fired from their job, shouldn't that tell you something? Don't you think you should be alarmed that they uh, may not know how to work well with people? That they may not know how to show show up to work on time? They may not know how to complete a task? That ought to reveal some things to you about the person. And here's, here's just what I'm saying. If you're just wrapped up in infatuation about somebody, then you tend to want to rescue people. Oh, yeah, but, you know, I mean, that job does kind of suck and blah, blah, blah. And you want to rescue. If you're asking, if you're interested and you're asking the right questions, then that's actually a warning sign. This person can't keep a job. This person doesn't work well with people. How do you think they're going to work with you? I think it says a lot. I'll, um, I'll like, I like to brag on my wife. Can I do that real quickly? You guys know her um, a little bit. My wife, um, she went to school in Charleston, and she ran track and cross country. Um, so she was a year-round athlete, and she finished, um, I think, with like a 3.8 GPA in three and a half years. She did her undergrad. 
And then after her undergrad, she did her master's at the University of Georgia in clinical exercise physiology, and she finished it in a year and a half. So she did an undergrad and a grad school in five years total, all while six months of that being engaged to me. My wife is a boss, y'all. She's a champ. Yeah. Here's, here's what I'm saying. To me, I noticed that. And I'm not saying that, that, you know, that everyone needs that, but to me, that told me a lot about her work ethic, told me a lot about her discipline, told me a lot about how when she was committed to something, she was going to do it and do it all the way. And to me, I thought, you know what? I bet that's going to reflect in how she's a wife one day. It probably will reflect one day in how she's a mother. And I'm telling you now, a few years into it, it does. I'm not saying that's the only thing that proves that those qualities exist, but to me, I saw it and I went, I like that. Look for those things. Another question, what are their friends like? <laughs> what are their friends like? Ladies, if you think you are dating a good guy, but all of his friends are trash, I promise you he's not as good of a guy as you think he is. He's got you fooled. Winners don't hang out with losers. <laughs> That's a little tongue-in-cheek, but you know what I'm saying. Look at their friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, bad company corrupts good character. I think it's worth you paying attention to who the person you're interested in hangs out with. What are their friends like? I guarantee you it'll tell you a little bit about them. I like this next question too. What are my friends saying about that person? People don't like this one but I think it's important. Here's why I think it's a great question. Because it offers a ton of clarity into one of two things. One of two things. First thing is maybe there's something about that person that you're interested in that you just can't see because you're just kind of wrapped up in the like, emotional bliss of things at the moment. Maybe there's something that you don't see that a friend can see and say, hey, you may want to pay attention to that. You may want to see that. Or check this out. This is the other thing. Maybe it will show you that you don't have the kind of friends that see relationships the same way you do. I think that's alarming too. If you're the only one in your friend group who, who views relationships like the paths and that, man, you're the only one that wants to go down that path of purity, it's going to be a tough road because you have a little accountability and very little encouragement. So I think that question highlights one or two of, of those, um, those things. Almost done. How well do they handle adversity and conflict? How well do they handle it? Like I said, they don't have to be perfect. I'm not perfect at it. You're not perfect at it. But I think you should pay attention to it. And then the last one that you won't like. What is their last girlfriend or boyfriend like? And I think even more importantly, what happened? What happened with them? To me, this is, this is not as much of a warning sign as it is just helping you get some insight into how they do relationships, right? Just so you know, how does this person go about relationships? If you find out that the previous relationships were, you know, six months in and they broke up and there was just heartbreak and it was terrible and oh, so much pain after six months... Right? And then before that, there was a two-year relationship, and it was just oh, terrible and tons of pain and heartbreak. And I think that highlights, or it should bring to your attention, that maybe they get into things at a really deep level. Perhaps intimacy, not just physical, but everything. Perhaps they allow intimacy to grow larger than commitment. And so because of that, when the relationship breaks, it's not like a clean break. It's like ripping a Band-Aid off of an open wound. Right? And that's what happens when you allow intimacy to come into a relationship at an extreme level above commitment. When it doesn't work out, when things don't work like you thought they would work, it ends up being terribly painful because you didn't go about it the right way. Rather than going about it slow, steady, easy. I'm interested. I'm not desperate. This doesn't have to work. I'm completely dependent on God to bring me somebody at his perfect timing. I don't need this person, right? 
So I'm not desperate. I'm dependent on God. And I got plenty of time to just ask the right questions to see if this is someone that I'd be interested in. I'm not just wrapped up in this emotionally fueled, passionate infatuation with somebody. Instead, I'm asking the right questions because this may be the rest of my life. And therefore, when I go about it like that, if we get to the point where you go, you know what, I've learned some things, I've asked some questions, and, and I just don't know if this is the person. Hey, this is... This isn't going to work. It's fine. It's not like ripping a Band-Aid off of an open wound. It's a lot cleaner and easier than that. And here's the key. We're closing up. Patrick, you can come up. You cannot find this out overnight. It takes a lot of time. But that is okay. Because when you are not desperate, you have plenty of time. It's only when you're desperate that you feel the press of time to find somebody. Only when you're desperate. So pick your own questions. You don't have to go with those questions. Pick your own questions. The bottom line is this. If you don't ask questions and take time and effort to get to know someone to the best of your ability, then you're not a victim of an unhealthy relationship. You're a volunteer. If you didn't take the time to ask questions and get to know somebody, then you're not a victim. Take your time. Decide if this is what you want to get into. You have to take responsibility. I think the last thing I would just share with you is this. Dependence dependence is waiting for God's solution. Desperation is making your own solution. Dependence is waiting for God's solution. Desperation is making your own solution. So I want to ask you tonight, will you choose tonight to just carry the posture of dependence? Dependence on God. Maybe, maybe you're just coming out of a relationship and there's a lot of pain and hurt and you just need to say, you know what? God, I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to trust that for whatever reason, that's not what you wanted for my life. I'm dependent on you to first heal me and two, for you to bring a solution. But more than a solution of like a boyfriend or girlfriend one day, it's a solution of God, I have a longing in my soul for this love, for satisfaction and significance and security. And I want to be dependent on you to fill that so that I don't have a need to go look for someone else to fill that. And I believe if you'll take that posture and if you'll be intentional about asking God to be that to you, I believe he will do that. And I believe it will transform how you go about relationships. Will you bow bow your head and close your eyes? I want to pray for you. And I just think, you know, like I said earlier, I realize this is super complex and it goes deeper than just a little sermon on a Thursday night. But I just want to ask, you know, maybe tonight is an opportunity for you to just make a commitment. A commitment to say, God, I'm dependent on you. I don't want to go about relationships in my life in a desperate way. I want to go down the path of purity. I don't want to go down this other path. God, I want to be dependent on you. And maybe you're single and you want to say that now. God, I want to be dependent on you. Feeling time pressure. I'm feeling pressure of life and I'm feeling the, you know, watching the Instagrams of everyone else and, and, and I feel like I want that as well. But God, I'm choosing tonight. I want to be dependent on you to satisfy that. Or, or maybe you're already in a relationship and maybe you just want to say, you know what, from here on out in our relationship and how we're going about this, I don't want to look for that person to satisfy something in me that they cannot satisfy. I want to look for God to do that in me. I want to depend on him to do that. And so just kind of in the honesty of this room, I'd love to just know if that's one of you, 
I'm sure it's a bunch of you. Would you just lift your hand. I just want to pray for whether you're in, in either one of those situations. Cool. Thank you. So, Father, you see those who are just saying, God, I believe it to be true that, that you have the power to satisfy these desires in me. God, I believe it to be true that you have a purpose and a plan for my relationship life. And I want to trust you. I want to trust you and I want to trust your solution. I don't want to make up my own solution. So God, for each person that was so willing to say, yeah, that's me. I want to do that. Father, I ask that you would just honor them. That you would honor their honesty. That you would honor, um, Lord, their willingness to say yes to you. Say, God, I want more of you in this arena of my life. Father, I do ask that that you would give them everything that they need to pursue this path of purity, to be fully dependent on you. And when these desires come up of, of, you know, longing for a relationship and all the things that come with it, God, would you just so gently and in your kindness remind them of your purpose and your plan and the fact that you have not forgotten them and that you are with them and that ultimately... Their pursuit of you is what will lead them to the life that they want. And so God, strengthen them. Give them courage. And Lord, for those who are in a relationship now, God, would you just, would you bring wisdom to each one of them and how to carry this out right where they're at? And God, I pray against the enemy that wants to tell them that they're fine, that they don't need to do anything. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you just demolish that lie? And would you bring courage where there needs to be a conversation? And would you just bring a gentleness and a kindness to where there needs to be change? So Father, I thank you that you would love us so much that you would want to step into these most intimate parts of our life and oftentimes the most painful parts of our life. And Lord, would you lead us and would you guide us as we pursue you? It's in Jesus' name we pray.